Eye on 2020, episode 45. Have 2020 Vision with Eye on 2020, the podcast that brings you all the news and events in the lead up to the next presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date as we approach November 2020 with a libertarian perspective of all the candidates and their policies along with the news. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's clear our vision. Hey everybody, it's Ray, your host of Ion 2020, the place that you come daily for all the news and related events in the lead up to the 2020 election. I appreciate you coming out and joining me today. Uh, just wanted to let you guys know that I appreciate you listening, I really do. And if you want to go out and listen tomorrow, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. And uh, if it's your first time listening, I appreciate you listening. And if you do hit that subscribe button, it'll come to your podcast uh, feed every single day five days a week, Monday through Friday, and go ahead and listen to some of my previous episodes as well. If you uh, would like, you know, if you have a couple minutes, if you have some time throughout the day, download some of those previous episodes. I got some great ones in there. One about that zillion dollar Green New Deal. Got some about Tulsi Gabbard and all of the uh, candidates that are running in 2020 so far. Those that have officially announced some of those that are uh, have, have formed their exploratory committees. I have information about them as well have some information on some of the third-party candidates as well, and some of their issues and some of the proposals that they've made. That's what I've been doing. I've been trying to bring you as much of that news as I can about their proposals, about the things that they're talking about on that campaign trail, and some about Donald Trump as well, things that he's doing um, right now and things that he's been talking about uh, in the lead-up. Because he's obviously he's announced he's going to be running for president, but... He's not really doing campaign speeches per se yet. He did have a CPAC last weekend, and that was one of you know he he at CPAC. That's the uh, Conservative Political Action Committee. It's a big conference that they have every single year. He did have a big speech, and I did a show on that yesterday as well. So uh, go ahead, subscribe to the show, and listen to some of my previous episodes. And if you get a chance, go ahead and give me a five star rating and review if you like what you're hearing. If you don't like what you're hearing, or you just want to uh, give me a bad, re- bad, you know, rating, then go ahead and you know give me a review as well, so I at least know what I'm doing wrong. And if you like what you're hearing, give me a review about what you like. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do that at I on the Empire at I on the Empire. That's my Twitter handle, and I there I post any kind of news and things with regards to what's going on internationally as well as domestically, and I try to bring you. You know, as much of that information as I can, I scour the news on a daily basis so I can have topics for the podcast, and I scour the news every day so I can find information to post on Twitter as well. And like I said, I appreciate you listening today, and what I wanted to talk about today is um, something that a lot of the Democrats are talking about, which is Medicare for All. Medicare for All, that's the idea that Uh, The federal government should become the single payer of all medical costs for the entire population of the United States, from Alaska down to the Keys in Florida, from the very, very wealthy people right down to the poorest person that's uh, living on the streets, right? That federal government should be the single payer 
for all medical costs, and that would be Medicare for all. And a lot of the um, a lot of the Democrats are talking about that. I believe it was a Green Party platform issue back in the 2012 and 2016, and Bernie Sanders brought this issue up as a campaign promise when he was running for president, and now it's become sort of a mainstream idea among most of the candidates. They've pretty much dropped the idea of recovering Obamacare. They've dropped the idea of reforming Obamacare. A few of the candidates have talked about that idea that we got to keep the existing Obamacare plan, reinstitute that mandate, reinstitute the fees and the fines that go along with not having coverage, like insurance coverage and so forth. And a lot of them have, you know, dropped that idea. A few of them are still talking about the idea of just reforming Obamacare, but most of them have dropped that idea. And most of them are talking about a Medicare for all plan. And they talked about this, a lot of conservatives and a lot of people back in 2008, whenever, or 2009, whenever Obamacare was getting passed through the Congress, a lot of people said, you know, this is just a Trojan horse to get, you know, single payer. And everyone said, oh, no, 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 that's not true. That's not true. That, But a lot of people, they said the idea was that they're going to have, you know, they're going to start seeing the problems with this Obamacare idea. And eventually it's going to be a push towards the single payer. But I've said this in the past and I've talked, I mean, I've talked about this on my show in the past, but I've also talked about this or I've also known this way in the past, that the idea is not to get single payer. That's not the end game. The end game is to have something like what England has, which is a national health system, where from cradle to grave, the government is the one that runs the entire health care system. And that's the ultimate, you know, pie-in-the-sky idea. And I've heard progressives say that, that one of the things that they the the main point that they're trying to do is they're trying to get medicare for all which will eventually lead to <clears throat> like a the single the single payer will eventually lead to a nationalized healthcare system um i can't remember exactly what website i saw that on but it was it had something to do with like a it was one of the more progressive websites that i was looking through and it was one of the actual it was actually one of the candidates that um, they quoted from that particular website. I think it was uh, AOC Alexandra Ocasio Cortez. I believe she was the one that referred to this particular website. But then it was something that also the Bernie Sanders group got involved in as well. And that was one of the websites that they started up uh, was the idea of what's the steps to get to the place where we want to be. And one of the steps was to get Medicare for all a single-payer type healthcare system, which eventually would be a takeover of the entire health industry because they say that healthcare is a human right, right? Um, not healthcare. I guess that, well, everyone knows that healthcare is a human right in the sense that you have the right to go get healthcare. I mean, no, no government should be able to stop you from that. But what they say is that these human rights should be provided by the federal government, Right. So when they say healthcare is a human right, they don't say they only say it in the sense that the government should provide healthcare. If, if there's a government out there, it should provide healthcare to the people. Um, would they say hu- food is a human right, so the government should provide all the food? I don't know. I just like where do you take that 
where do what steps do you or where do you take that process all the way to the logical conclusion right because obviously shelter we all need food water shelter and clothing i guess um those are like your your basic needs of life right so is it the government's responsibility to provide all water for everybody is it you know for free is it food for should be free what's the logical conclusion to say because health care obviously is one step of things that you yeah you need health care you need to be able to uh, go to a doctor if you can, right? If you're sick, hey, let me go to a doctor. If you if you break an arm, let me go get someone to fix it. But is it a human right beyond that? Do you know, the ability to go get it? That's what they're saying. That's what the Medicare for all people. That end game is to take over the healthcare industry completely. Not everyone, I'm sure, not every single one of those people thinks that way. But the progressive agenda is to get to that point. Correct me if I'm wrong. If you do, you would you can you can you can do that. You can leave comments and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I I know from what I've read that pro- progressive agenda the you know the the Trojan horse is to get Medicare for all. So, what I wanted to talk about <clears throat> is if you did have medical Medicare for all, it's going to break down. That's what I'm that's what I wanted to talk about today because the current system that we have today is breaking down, right? So, if you were if they were able to get Medicare for all, the system would slowly break down where it would be unaffordable, it wouldn't be able to be funded properly. Um, the government start going into massive debt over it. And we know this is a fact. So, Americans pay tons and tons of money in for their healthcare nowadays, right? There's an insurance. So we get insurance, we go to the doctor, and the insurance covers some, we cover some, whatever. You got high deductible plans. So you're going to pay for the first thousand or two thousand or three thousand of your family's uh, medicine in the first place, right? And then the, go- the, the insurance costs or the insurance companies, they kick in the difference. They'll, they, and if you get to pass your deductible, then they're going to pay, you know, 90% or 80%, whatever your insurance plan is. They're, that's how the insurance system is going to work right now. So you're already paying money into in for insurance. So when they say, all they're going to do is say, hey, well, if we just raise the taxes to the kind of the average level, I guess, of what a person is paying for their insurance now. So somehow they just raise the Medicare or the, yeah, the Medicare tax that's already taken out of your paycheck in the first place when you go, um, when you get paid every week. If you just raise that, that's going to be able to help cover all of the costs, right? And while that might be true, there's still going to be... It's a government-run program, so we know that governments aren't, you know, are politically motivated. They're not profit-motivated. So when you're politically motivated, then this politician and this politician are going to try to figure out ways to profit off of that. They're going to, they're going to figure out ways to get reelected off of that and so forth. So there's not the since there's not the profit motive but there's the political motivation, then it's going to become a political football that's always being passed around for everyone to try to use to take their advantage. So you're not going to have the same the same accountability to increase profits that a business has. So it's going to run deficits. It's going to you know, it's going to have challenges because of that. Financial challenges because of that. Because the, the motives aren't there. The, the economic motives are not there in the right way in order to incentivize the players in that industry to you know, act, act in the right way. So 
what I get at with this is that the even though they promise that it's going to not run deficits and, and so forth, it's going to run deficits. Deficits. That's just the way our government is. I mean, we are the the United States government is twenty two trillion dollars in debt right now, and it's skyrocketing on a on a daily basis. And it's not just Trump. It's not just Obama. It goes back to the Bush years. It goes back to the Clinton years and so forth. Now, Clinton did have supposedly a surplus, and that's disputable. But, I mean, they, they were able to take in nearly as much money or as much money as they were spending. So maybe in the Clinton years, there was there was some good things about that. But the Obama years, the the, <clears throat> the deficits were crazy. So we're, you know, in, in the Trump years... The deficits are, deficits are crazy as well. And nobody's even talking about, you know, reducing the national debt. No one's talking about trying to have a balanced budget. Nothing like that. So if you think that Medicare for all is going to be, you know, something that's not going to run deficits, I, I just, I wouldn't believe you because past, you know, when, when what the government has done in the past can kind of predict what it's going to do in the future, Right. So let me get into an article that I found, though, and that's what I wanted to talk about, was this is from Heritage.org, and it's um, Robert E. Moffitt, Ph.D. He's a, he specializes in healthcare and entitlement program, um, and he's a senior fellow at the Heritage.org. And what he says is this, Medicare is in trouble again. This is from 2018, okay? So June 2018... June, yeah, let's see, June 18th, 2018, and he says, Medicare is in trouble again. The Medicare trustees report the program's hospital insurance trust fund is spending billions more than it takes in. In just eight years, they estimate the fund will be insolvent. That's current Medicare, right? Currently, Medicare will be insolvent in 2000, or in, in eight years. At that point, the account will decline and the trustees warn beneficiary access to health care services could rapidly be curtailed. So, in eight years from 2018, 2026, they say beneficiary access to healthcare services could rapidly be curtailed. What I've always said is when you have the federal government in charge of something, or any government in charge of something, and that's who you're depending upon, then you're putting your your health your future in the hands of a bunch of politicians who are just passing around a political football in order to get themselves reelected. So these people, these politicians have known for years and years and years that medical Medicare is going insolvent. They were saying this back in 2008, that by the mid 2020s, you know, Medicare is going to go insolvent. Social Security is going to have challenges and so forth. They knew this you know, 30 years ago, and it's it's eight years from now, or eight years from 2019, so seven years from now, and they're saying that beneficiary access to health care services could rapidly be curtailed in eight years, right? So I just always say this, do I want to trust a politician to fix it, or I'd rather go to a hospital that has some kind of profit motive that's going to stay open, Right? And yeah, they're going to charge me money, but at least I'll have the ability to have health care. If you have the entire medical system or the, the single payer system taken over where all insurance goes away and it's just a single payer for the hospitals and for any doctor's appointments you go to um, and they can't afford to pay it because some politician, you know, 
was just trying to get reelected and, and didn't, you know, they're not trying to fix problems, right? If you have that happen, then you're going to have, you know, healthcare services rapidly be, be curtailed. That's just the way it is. And I just, I just can't imagine being in that kind of world, right? Where everything is set up where every single time there's an election, it's based upon, hey, we're going to extend one more year or two more years of, of Medicare. We're going to extend it for two more years, three more years. We're going to help make it solvent for that much amount of time. Because right now you have the same issues with the debt ceiling every single, you know, twice a year you hear them talking about raising the debt ceiling and that becomes a political issue. Then they talk about the budget, that becomes a political issue. Next is going to be Medicare, that'll be a political issue. And Social Security, because they run the government, you know, based upon the emergency of the moment. And that's just the way they run it. So... Anyway, let's get further in. So then it says, bad news, yes, but surprising, no. Two years ago, the Congressional Budget Office also predicted trust fund insolvency by 2026. So two years ago, they predicted it. That would be 2016. They gave it 10 years from then, and then now it's eight years. So it's two years later, and nobody's done anything, right? Because we all know that Washington is broken. It's you know, it's the Democrats versus Republicans and no one's going to work together to try to fix things. But I don't think that they know how to fix this, to be honest with you. So going on, the relentless growth of Medicare spending threatens seniors and taxpayers alike. The CBO projects overall Medicare spending will double over the next decade from $707 billion to over $1.5 trillion annually. Even the hottest economy cannot outgrow the deficits and debt worsened by financial trouble medicare and other and other entitlements so you have these 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 entitlements and even the best economy even the five percent supposed trump economy that he touts and talks about which is more like 2.8 percent i think um even that cannot outgrow the spending that's going to be needed on you know the deficits that are going to be happening on Medicare and other entitlements. Trustees note that medic going on. Trustees note that Medicare spending will grow faster than workers' wages, the general economy, and other health spending. The Medicare Payment Advisory Commission warns that entitlement spending plus interest on the debt will consume all federal re- revenues by 2039 and perhaps earlier. And they've known that for years. You've heard it, you know. Back in 2000, they were talking about you only got about 30 or 40 years left until the government is, you know, that the debt, the deficit spending as well as the, or the, excuse me, the servicing of the debt as well as the entitlements are going to cover the entire, um, all the money that the government takes in. So then everything on military, everything else is going to be borrowed money. We knew that. I mean, they've known that forever, but politicians, like I said, Politicians do not care about that. They care about getting reelected. So they're going to use all of these things as a political football to pass to this person, pass to that person, and not worry about it until it becomes an emergency situation so they could use it to try to buy votes. That's all they're trying to do. So if you want to give your government more power to use all these things as a political football, then give them the ability to have Medicare for all because they will definitely use that because at that point they have your health. Now, I've heard this multiple times as well. A lot of doctors nowadays don't accept Medicare. They just said, you know what, to heck with this. 
I'm not going to accept Medicare because what Medicare does is there's all these billing codes and all this stuff trying to get the money in into the doctor's office, right? So if you have a doctor's office, if let's say you're just a local doctor, you have yourself and you have two nurses working for you and you have a secretary, right? So you walk into that doctor's office and the secretary says, oh yeah, Dr. Dr. Jones will see you soon. And then the nurse comes out, brings you in, they take your weight, they, you know, take your blood pressure, all that. Dr. Jones comes walking in. He says, hey, Ray, how's it going? Nice to meet you. Um, You know, what's going on today? He checks you out. He writes your prescription. You're out the door, right? Um, In most worlds, in in a world without insurance and without Medicare, you might, the doctor might say, hey, pay me 100 bucks now. Or he might say, hey, you know, I'll send you a bill for 100 bucks. You, you get the bill, you pay it, and we're all clear. In the world of Medicare, in, and in the world of insurance, then, the, then he has to have somebody on staff in order to go ahead and bill the insurance company for that visit. With the world of Medicare, it's a whole lot different. And it's your billing, but you have to give a reason why they wrote you a prescription. You have to have a reason why any procedure is done and so forth. And there's a, there's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of red tape that goes about it to try to get paid. And then Medicare will pay a smaller percentage back to that doctor's office than, say, an insurance company would or whatever. So what they say is that a lot of doctors said, you know what, there's just too much going on. So they've you know quit being doctors or they've quit accepting Medicare. And what you see with the consolidation of doctor's offices, so there, if you go into a city or you go into a lot of towns, there's not like just the local doctor anymore. You go to a big, gigantic conglomerate of, you know, a doctor's offices that are owned by the local hospital group um, or these large chains of doctor's offices, right, that will have probably 30 or 40 doctors working for them. The reason why is because they have to consolidate that medical billing in order to get paid by the insurance companies, but also a lot of it is because of the Medicare, the all the red tape that goes along with trying to get paid by Medicare as well. So it just it it doesn't it doesn't make it easy for the local doctor to do business anymore that you would have had way back when. So when you think about the rising care health care costs that are out there it's a lot of it is because of the bureaucracy that goes into the business side of just getting paid nowadays, right? So where you used to have a doctor and he has two nurses and maybe a sec- you know a secretary or a receptionist. So that's four people so that one doctor has to feed three other people plus himself, right? To get paid to or to get um so he's billing based upon that. Now he has four other people behind the scenes or four other people behind the scenes that might need to do all the billing or maybe there's just one other person behind the scenes that needs to do the billing. But then down the road, there's a doctor's office that has two doctors and one person that is doing the billing. So that doctor is at a disadvantage because of the way that the billing systems are set up. Um, and a lot of that has to do, like I said, with, the, with, with Medicare and Medicaid and the insurance, the way that insurance is now. And a lot of the insurance we find is regulated by the federal government, especially since there's been Obamacare, but even before that, it was hugely regulated by the 
by the federal government. So you couldn't just have catastrophic policies or it was very hard to go to a doctor and just pay cash. Um, like how often would you go to the doctor and they're like, you're like, okay, so doc, how much does it cost me today before you go in there? Right. You're not questioning that you're just walking in and, you know, just assuming that you're just going to pay them later and they could, you know, it might be a thousand dollars. It might be 50 bucks, but nobody's like negotiating the prices by any means. Um, so let's get back into the article though. When selling Obamacare and okay, so sorry, uh, let me go back a little bit. The trustees report was especially bad news for working families who fund the program through both Medicare payroll taxes and income taxes. Their report estimates that medical Medicare Part B services alone will consume a seventh of all personal and corporate federal income taxes. By 2040, Part B will gobble up 25%. When selling Obamacare in 2010, President Obama insisted that middle-class Americans would be spared additional taxation for the first few years. Obamacare's Medicare tax hike would strike only the rich. So there was a tax hike for Medicare back then, but it was only you know, for people that were making more than $200,000 a year or $250,000 for couples. The health law, however, did not index these income thresholds to inflation. The result, the tax will be bite nearly four of every five workers over the age, over the next 75 years. So if it's not tied to inflation, then you're with a two or 3% inflation rate every single year, eventually 75 years from now, it'll be hitting, you know, the vast majority of workers that Medicare tax hike that they had in 2010. So moving forward, though. So moving forward, they say, though seniors pay only a small fraction of annual Medicare costs, they cannot escape the financial pain. Medicare premiums consumed 23% of the average Social Security benefit in 2015, and they are on track to consume 30% of the average Social Security benefit by 2030. So seniors do pay for their Medicare and it's 23%. So if the, I think the average Medicare patient or excuse me, social security recipient, if they're single, I think it's about $1,200 per month is what you get from the federal government for social security. So 23% of that is somewhere in the realm of about 300 bucks a month, I would say. So they're paying $300 a month as it is for their Medicare premiums right now and they're already living on a fixed income with with their social security of $1200 a month so um it's not like this is free guys it's not if you have medicare for all it's not like it's me for free you're still going to be paying for it out of your medicare out of the taxes and i wonder if there's a a monthly payment that you're paying then if that was the case i wonder what their proposal is for this medicare for all um, I don't think there is like a formal proposal for it yet, though. It's not like it's sitting in Congress waiting to get through. And if it was waiting to get through, I bet you they wouldn't show it show it to us anyway. So, anyhow, my point though is gets always gets back to: Do you want the federal government, a bunch of politicians that can't even pass a budget? Do you want them in charge of the entire healthcare system, the entire payment of the healthcare system? It's not like the federal government runs efficiently, guys. It really isn't. Um, if you look at nearly everything that they do, I mean, the national park system is probably the best thing about it because I enjoy going to the national parks, right? Um, 
but I mean, even those, they, they, it's not like they're running out of profit by any means. And, but I don't, I don't know that they really have to. I mean, it's just a forest, right? But still, I mean, it, I just think that if you're looking at the federal government, the things that they get themselves involved into, all it really comes down to is, is, is our federal government going to run the healthcare system more efficiently? I don't want to get to the point where we have a nationalized health care system, but are they going to run Medicare efficiently in the future just because now they're in charge of everybody's health care? I, I think it becomes a political football. I really do. I think it becomes something that for the rest of our lives, that's what these politicians are running on is trying to shore up Medicare, just like now they're always running on. We're going to get the budget passed. We're going to get this done. I mean, that's... That's all they do. Every twice a year, it's there's a fight over the budget. They shut down government. So what happens with, with Medicare if the government shuts down for three months because some politician wants to, you know, showboat on a wall or whatever? What happens in that situation? There's so much uncertainty in our world at that point, right? When right now my medicine is just fine. Maybe. From a libertarian's perspective, I you know I'm going off track, okay, guys. But maybe have some kind of catastrophic in Medicare where you can apply for it if you're making, you know, if you're poor, if you're in destitute, or if you're homeless or whatever. There maybe maybe make it so that that can be an option. But Medicare for all, I mean Medicare for Bill Gates, medic, you know. I don't think that we don't need to nationalize the entire system. We don't need a single payer. And when these politicians are running on that, I want you to think about that. Do we really want the federal government in charge of our medicine? Because when that happens, you have doctors that refuse to be doctors now, right? And I don't think it'll be catastrophic by any means. I'm not, you know, predicting that, but you'll have a lot of doctors that just say, you know what, I'm going to opt out of the system. You will have that. And then the ones that do stay around, it's only going to be harder for them to get paid because this insolvency that's happening with with Medicare now, it's only going to creep in with the Medicare that, you know, if they went with the Medicare for all plan. So let me go ahead and wrap up. Um, I got a little deep into that subject. I apologize, but I hope that it helped you out a little bit to kind of get a general idea of what Medicare for All is and the challenges that Medicare currently faces and the challenges that it would ultimately face if you had Medicare for All for all of America, everyone in America, from Alaska down to the Keys, you know, for from the very rich down to the very poor. If that happened, um, I hope you can see some of the challenges that, that the federal government face, might face and it's mostly fiscal challenges. Um, bureaucratic challenges and you know political challenges because all these politicians that's all they're going to ever run on is you know talking about how they're going to fix medicare and all this stuff right so you become sort of a slave in that way to the federal government in the sense that you are dependent upon somebody else for your medicine and for the payment of that medicine right um so anyway, I hope that helped you out a lot, guys. Go ahead and subscribe to the show and rate it and review it. And if you would like to have clear vision for 2020, come back tomorrow and you will have clear vision.